Thanks for joining us for our online worship experience. We are so excited that you chose to worship with us here today. Our goal is to share the gospel with our community, our church family, and online viewers like you. If you live in Savannah or the surrounding area, we'd love to meet you in person at our Savannah campus, 1624 East 38th Street. Remember, resources like this are meant to be supplemental, and community with other believers is so important. So, come to church. If you like what you've seen today, visit our website, citychurch.life, or just click the link in the description. We're going to be taking a look at seed that was planted and what were some of the obstacles that the seeds uh, ran into when it was time for it to actually begin to bear fruit, okay? And, and so we'll begin here in Matthew 13. Again, remember, Jesus is communicating to a large enough crowd that he has had to kind of kind of separate himself so that he can communicate. And he begins this parable in verse three, and he told them many things in parables saying, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them. Uh, other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. So Jesus begins this this time of communicating, right, by sharing this story. Now, now he's in an environment that allows for interaction. Now, I know that like we come in here on Sundays and we're not, we're not used to interacting with the communicator. We're not used to interacting with who's teaching. If there's interaction, it's kind of like an amen or a man that was good or a, you know, we joke like a roll tide or something like that. You know what I'm saying? Uh, uh, but, but, but Jesus is interacting with this crowd in such a way that they begin to communicate back with him. His disciples are close to him and there's a little bit of confusion. Uh, uh, and, and so as he wraps it up, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. Now, the question that keeps being asked is who is this man? Okay, so as we as we look at the, the groundwork that brought us to this place, Jesus has had multiple interactions with individuals who are not quite sure who Jesus is. Now, remember that the Jews uh, uh, at this point were were very much so looking for the, the son of David to come. They were looking for uh, the Messiah to show up. In fact, history tells us that there had been just loads of false messiahs that had been popping up all around. Uh, people had been listening to, following their stories of, of people buying into uh, the, the, you know, the, what, where one person would claim to be Messiah and they would follow them out into the desert and it would cost them their lives. You know, I mean, there's just multiple stories. Here comes Jesus. So there's, there's a little bit of, uh, of mistrust and curiosity. Could this Jesus be the actual Messiah? Could this be the one that will fulfill the, the prophecies that have been given? And, 
And, and Jesus is beginning to fulfill those prophecies and he's winning over certain people, but he's not winning everyone over. In fact, uh, John the Baptist is, 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 John the Baptist, his whole purpose was to preach the fact that the Messiah was coming. And in just the chapters before this, he sends his own disciples out and says, and has them come and ask, are you really the son of God? So, so even John the Baptist, this, this preacher of the Messiah coming is a little bit confused. Pharisees, Sadducees, they're all asking questions. Crowds are gathering. They're saying, could this be the son of God? Could this be the Messiah that we've been hearing about? And of course, he has a group of disciples who are following him and they have, they've put their faith in him. They, they've cast their faith. They, they, they've said, hey, I'm bought in this, this guy. This is the Messiah and we're going to follow him. Now, the question is, what is it that he's talking about when he begins this parable? And this is exactly what those closest to him want to know. The disciples come up to him. He shares this parable. And the scripture says that they begin asking him exactly what is it you're talking about? So the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them. To you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. So Jesus kind of, kind of, kind of, in, in an effort to answer them, he helps them, he's trying to help them understand that you already have a measure of faith. And because you have a measure of faith, you have an advantage when it comes to these things. And there are people who do not have that measure of faith. And even though they might grab onto some truths, some kingdom truths, they will not get to hold on to them. And so there's a little bit of a, of, of, of a caution, uh, of a warning inside of this. And Jesus is telling them, he's like, look, I have some faith in you. I, I have some trust in you, but you need to understand that not everybody is where you're at. And so I, I, I communicate in a way that, that hopefully will challenge people to want to be able to seek the truth. So this is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. So there's a common theme that we find uh, present in the, in the here in this section of Matthew as we travel through these chapters. And it's around this this idea here where he says, nor do they understand there's something about uh, this idea of what's happening in their minds, what's happening in the minds of individuals in, in a, in, that, that creates a little bit of context for why Jesus comes in to this particular story. It's a common theme. So Matthew chapter nine, we're going to back up a few chapters. We have the woman with the issue of blood and watch what happens here in verse 20. And behold, a woman who had suffered from a discharge of blood for 12 years came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment for she said to herself, if I only touch his garment, I will be made well. This is the interesting part here 
is that the scripture records that she communicates to herself, that she speaking to herself in her own mind, in her own heart, she was declaring, if I just get to touch the hem of his garment, I will be made well. So there was something that was taking place in her own understanding that led her to this place And listen, in verse 22, Jesus turned and seeing her, he said, take heart, daughter, your faith has made you well. And instantly the woman was made well. And so what does Jesus do? Jesus, he honors what was taking place in her mind, what was taking place inside of herself. Like she is is at a place where she is coming to this place of understanding, if I can just get to him. Like, like if I can just get to the place where I can touch him, I'll receive healing. I'm going to do whatever it takes. And then Jesus affirms this by saying that faith that you were having that was building up inside of you, that faith has made you well. It's a pretty significant thing what happens in the mind. Uh, we, we come a little bit later to, uh, after she's got her mind around it, we come to a group of Pharisees and, and the scripture here uh, it, it revolves around this, this group of religious leaders, okay, who are trying their best to trip Jesus up. Now, uh, a lot of times, at least for me, I, I think I'm, I'm guilty of reading through passages like this and looking at how the Pharisees would come after Jesus and, and, and do it with this mindset of like, oh, they knew he was the son of God and they were working for the devil. And so they were just trying to get him. But the truth is they were looking for the Messiah and they did not want Jesus to be the Messiah. And if they could trip him up, if they could get him to, to, to fall out of line, they could prove their case. And so they were constantly trying to validate their own beliefs to the people around them. And so in this passage in Matthew 12, leading up to the parable, these Pharisees are are repeatedly trying to knock Jesus out of the the contending spot of being Messiah. And Jesus calls them out here in verse 33. And he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So I want you to, again, look at just some language here. He, he uses this language of this tree and being known by the fruit that it bears, right? Okay, so he's telling them uh, that the things that are coming out of your mouth, right? Okay, the things that come out of your mouth, they, they have to line up with the fruit that you create in life, right? And so he calls them a brood of vipers. And these are the religious leaders. This is a group of people who, 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 who the common everyday person would go to for some type of insight into quote unquote kingdom principles. And Jesus says, listen, you yourselves do not have health inside of you. What's going on internally and what's coming out of you, they don't match up. And this is a problem. So the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good and the evil person out of his evil treasure 
brings forth evil. And so Jesus is calling the Pharisees out. He's telling them that, that you know, you may get up here and you might be able, I'm trying to, trying to, you might be able to come out and quote a kingdom truth. You might be able to say, I know this to be true about the things of God, right? So I had you guys write some things down. You might be able to, and those things are truth, but just because they come out of your mouth, it does not mean that it's a reflection of the fruit that you bear as an individual. And so the Pharisees had some truths that were evident through scripture that they were able to regurgitate and that at the end of the day, they believed to be true, but in the end, they were not bearing the type of fruit that needed to be born. I don't know what the word there is, is that right? Uh, so how does this work? So, so uh, we understand that we are made up uh, in, in, in the same type of image of God, that, that we have a, a triune existence. This is spirit, soul, and body, all right? Uh, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. Uh, the, the, the spirit side of who we are is, is, the, is the part that we uh, have the least direct control over in the sense of, uh, of we can't save ourselves. We can't, we can't save our spirit. What we can do is operate through our soul, which is, this is our intentions. This is where our mind is. This is where we make decisions. And then our body, even down to our brain, they, it just is the, it's the, it's the, the part that is the housing facility for all of this. Okay. And so uh, uh, what happens inside of our minds, and I'm being really careful here because your brain is a part of the body, uh, what happens in our minds, it bears fruit in two areas. One within our spirit, which is evident within the spiritual realm, and then the other in our body, which is, uh, uh, can, be, can be seen in the physical realm. And so literally, that when we begin to think on something, Science shows us that uh, our, our minds begin, uh, that, that as we think on something, proteins are developed. So there's a physical manifestation that's taking place in our brain, okay? So, there, so when we begin to think on something, physical manifestation takes place as well as a spiritual manifestation. So we get the spiritual side because we look at scripture, we trust God, and so a lot of people would say, yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. And yes, I believe in a spiritual world. And yes, I believe that my decisions have consequences in the spiritual realm. And then science shows us that our, the, 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 the way that we think and the things that we meditate on, they have consequences in the physical realm, that our bodies physically take on uh, uh, a, a, a manifestation based on what, the, what things we meditate on, what things we think on. And so, so, so the fruit of who we are becomes evident, not just in a spiritual context, but in a physical context. And so Jesus is coming in and he's talking to them about the fact that there is, there is spiritual truths that are out there, but how we take them in and how we own our own soul and how we meditate and think, they determine what type of fruit will be what? Manifested through our body into the world around us, through our spirit, into the spirit world around us, okay? So our body and spirit are bound to our soul. 
And so who we are, how we think, the things we meditate on, all of those things, those things matter significantly. And it's not enough to just know truth. We have to have that truth buried deep inside of what when we talk about our heart, our mind, we're talking about our soul. We have to have those truths buried deep inside of us. And so our thoughts manifest themselves in our body. Now, go to Romans chapter one, and I'm gonna look here in verse 18, and Paul writes here, and he's talking about the, uh, the, the, the way, or he's talking about the fruit of what happens when somebody uh, knows the truth, but does not allow it to be what they meditate on, what they allow to come through their lives. He says here, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So, so Paul begins writing here to the church in Rome and it's, it's a really significant writing because he has not been to Rome, but he is hearing the testimony of what is happening in Rome. The church is coming alive. People are getting saved. Lives are being transformed. But Rome is, is, is the heart of what we would consider to be secularization during this time period. And so he's talking to them about what happens even though truth exists and even though truth is made known, this is what happens when somebody is not living righteously, when they are not using their soul to meditate on God, to be in a position of prayer. What happens is, is that they live unrighteous and they do so suppressing the truth. And this looks like, this looks like a, a couple of different ways. Probably it looks different for different people, but for some, it looks like this. It looks like, listen, I believe this truth about God, but maybe for me, it's in contradiction with this other thing that I like about the world that I'm in. So I'm going to suppress this portion of the truth right now so that what it is that I want can be okay. It can be justified. And this is the problem is that what do we tell our children about partial truths? They are lies. You see, the truth of God is truth only in its entirety, not in some portion of truth. And as the church, we have to be responsible for the entirety of the truth, not a portion of the truth. And when we are only responsible for a portion of the truth, Jesus says there are problems that arise. I'll get to this because he's going to break down what the parable means for us. Verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. In the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. He says that, Paul writing, he says that you have a group of people that are living unrighteous that know the truth. And they know the truth because the truth is made known. This idea of suppressing the truth, it's, it's, it's this picture, and I've used this before when we've talked through Romans, of like taking a beach ball and going to the pool and trying to put the beach ball on the bottom of the pool. If you take it and it's filled with air, it's not flat, and you push it down, what happens when you let go? It pops back up, right? And so in order to suppress it, 
You're constantly having to put forth effort and you're constantly making adjustments to keep the beach ball on the bottom of the pool. But if at any point you stop putting forth effort, it does what it just naturally does and it comes back to the surface. This is the truth of God, is that, is that it takes a tremendous amount of effort to constantly hold it down and suppress the truth of God because it naturally rises to the surface. And when it comes time to stand before the Creator, you will not be able to give a bunch of excuses. God will say, no, 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 no. it was super simple. I didn't make it complicated on purpose. I revealed it to you. I showed you my truth. I showed you my love. I pursued you. And then I gave you the word. I gave you other believers. I made it as simple and practical as I could. And you're the one who complicated it and suppressed it. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And, and this, is really, this is really powerful because what Paul says is that in, in their mind, beginning with their soul, the thing that you and I are most in control of, what did they do? They did not honor him as God. Where does honor come from? Honor comes from my, me, looking at some individual and believing that they're worthy of honor, right? It, it takes something happening inside of my mind, inside of my heart, where I'm looking and I'm going, this person deserves honor. And so, so they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. Where does thanks come from? Thanks comes out of my mouth. It comes out of a belief system, right? When I say that I am thankful to somebody, I am saying thank you from a place of belief. And they would not do this, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And so Paul is giving a warning and he's talking, honestly here, he's talking about the same exact cycle that civilizations fall in and out of over and over and over. It's a, it's a, it's a cycle that the children of Israel had fallen in and out of throughout their time coming into the promised land where they would serve God faithfully, become comfortable and lazy in their faith and then ultimately allow sin to creep in. They would justify the sin to the point where they needed the sin more than they wanted God and they would shove God out of the way and God would give them over to judgment and in that judgment they would repent and say, God, come save me and then God would show up and save them and it was this constant cycle and Paul is giving them a warning here in Rome and he's telling them like these are the measurements of how things happen. This is, this is what it looks like in a society uh, when they are turning their back on God, it begins what? In their thinking and in their foolish hearts becoming darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, right? Have you, have you, ever, have you ever met somebody who, who, uh, was, who at one point had a testimony of being a follower of Christ and now all of a sudden they're enlightened to why God isn't real? And why Jesus isn't the Savior, right? 
I mean, do those people do those people sit there across from you going, I'm just a little bit confused and I don't really know what's going on? Or do they sit there like they're the, the, the smarty pants of the room, right? Oh, let me just tell you, I've read this book by this person who graduated from kindergarten and uh, and they are super smart, you know? Maybe they, have, maybe they even have three PhDs, I'll give them that, you know what I'm saying? Maybe they're super, super smart and they're so smart and they've seen so much of the world. And I just believe everything that they're saying and you just aren't smart enough to understand. This is the cycle that people follow is that all of a sudden they begin to claim to be wise. And then when you try to have a rational conversation with them, when you begin to ask them questions they can't answer, what do they do? Oh, you're, you're the fool. I can't have a conversation with you because you just don't understand. You're not as smart as I am, right? Paul says this is the traditional cycle that societies will follow, right? And exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. And so what follows when they begin to turn their back on God and begin to turn themselves away from the wisdom of God is that they have to give glory to something. So what happens? They become in love with the earth around them and they need the earth to be their 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 mother. They need the, the creation to be the thing that is most important. And, and, and we see this, this happens happens to is is currently in a cycle for us in the world around us where where people are pushing further and further away from God right society is saying oh you shouldn't believe in God but let me tell you what you should believe in and the positive energy that flows through Legos you know what I'm saying or whatever it is that they've got on their on their mind for the day and what does he say he says that they've traded the creator for the creation right They've traded the, the creator, the one that has made everything for the things that he has made. And they have tried to take the creation and they try to hold it higher than the creator. So Jesus says, listen, I'll, I'll, I'm going to explain this for you. I'm going to help you understand what's happening. I'm going to help to connect the dots. Uh, and, and so in verse 18 here in Matthew 13, he says, hear then the parable of the sower. So the disciples have said, why do you preach in a parable? This isn't making sense. He says, I do this for, for, for everyone's benefit, but I'll explain this one to you, right? So he says, listen, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So. We're going to see four areas that, that the seed gets sown and three of those where it doesn't take root, right? Where it does not, it's not able to bear fruit ultimately. That's what we want is we want it to bear fruit. So, so, so the first one here that he goes into is he says that when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, so this is the truth, right? Okay. And does not understand it. So, so I had you guys write down some truths at the beginning, and this is not to make you feel guilty or shamed or anything like that. I just want you to go back to those, okay? So the question that I have for you is the truth that you wrote down, do you understand that truth? Because what, what Jesus says here is that there will be truths that, they, that people will hear, right? Okay, they'll hear the word of the kingdom, they'll know the truth, but they won't understand it, okay? And instead of doing the work to gain understanding, and can I, can I tell you that it, it, takes, it takes effort, right? 
Just like if you're going to learn how to, to work on a vehicle or you're going to learn how to program a computer or you're going to learn how to do surgery on an individual, right? You're going to have to understand how things work. You're going to have to take some time, put some effort into, into gaining understanding. Now, let me tell you what's good. Jesus says that the word of God is simple. It's made plain for us. So understanding is not required. Three PhDs for you to be able to get to the place of truth, but it does require effort. And because some do not understand it, what happens is because we stay in this, this, this because some stay in a constant place of not understanding and not doing the work to understand, the enemy is able to come and snatch away that which was sown into that individual's heart. And this is what was sown along the path, right? And so, uh, I think that, that an emotion that leads people to the place where they don't dive into understanding is this emotion of guilt. And it leaves people sitting there asking the question, what did I do to deserve this? Right? So some people, we've experienced something in life, we've done something in life, and, and there is some type of guilt that sits over us, and we don't understand what we have done to deserve whatever it is that's happening to us in life. Because here's what the word of God does not promise you. It does not promise you that you won't go through difficult times. The word of God does not promise you that when, when you all of a sudden begin to pursue the things of God, everything is going to be perfect. You're, you're, you're going to walk through difficult situations. And, and can I tell you, like, like one of the reasons that we walk through difficult situations in our, in, with our friends, with our families, even in our marriages, is because we aren't all walking in relationship with God at the exact same pace. And we aren't all dealing with the exact same baggage. We're all coming at it from different places. And it's just truth and it's just reality. And so a lot of times we are guilty, we feel this guilt, and so we don't put time diving in and trying to understand what it is that God might be doing in our lives. We feel guilty because of the way that we've lived our lives. And so every time that it comes to the truth of God or the word of God or some type of understanding, we don't do the, the, the hard work of digging in because we're reminded of what we're guilty of. And the enemy uses that. Can I tell you, the enemy uses the guilt in our lives as a distraction so that he can take the seed before it bears fruit. He uses that as a tool to prevent you from becoming everything God created you to be. Jesus goes on in verse 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, right? So this is the person who, who is uh, in service on Sunday. They hear the word of God and they are like, man, that was good, that I appreciated that, they, I love that. And then they go home and, 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 and within a couple of days, they've lost that zeal, that fire, that excitement and they aren't continuing to pursue it, right? Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. We get really excited 
And then we go home, we begin to try to dive into the place of understanding, and then what we do is we read something that convicts us. We read something that, 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 that makes us go, oh man, this is a problem in my life, right? And instead, again, of, of navigating that and dealing with that, uh, uh, instead of trying to bring correction, we become the person who, when persecution shows up, we, we fall away. We begin to go, hey, hey, this was a lot more than what I bargained for. This is a lot more than what I asked for. I think this is the person who's dealing with shame, uh, the person who maybe has had something happen to them. So, so, so guilt is when I've done something, right? Guilt is when I've done something, I'm responsible for it, and I'm the one that made this mess. Shame is when somebody's done something to me and it was out of my control and I just really don't know who I am, right? I don't know who it is that I am. And it's these people when persecution shows up and says, oh, you're a Christian, well, I'm coming for you. Instead of standing up and going, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. Yeah, I believe in these truths. Because of that insecurity and in their own identity, they are the ones who fall backwards and say, no, 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 I, 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 didn't, I didn't mean to be a part of this group. Because they have shame in their lives. They have, they have this the shame of something that has taken place and instead of surrendering that to God, and I'm not saying that that's easy, we talk about this all the time, that, that if you've had something happen in your life that, that, that brings shame, uh, you, you might need uh, the help of somebody to get you from the place of, of, of coping and, and existing to the place of finding freedom. So God, God offers that freedom and some people will experience that freedom supernaturally and some will need to come and sit down with somebody. And we have counseling that we offer right here through the church uh, and, and, and we believe in that. We believe in using those tools to be able to sit down and talk through and navigate uh, situations that have taken place in your life. And a lot of times shame just is like, it's like shackles that hold people down and it, and it destroys your identity. Can I tell you that if you don't have a solid identity in Christ, when persecution and tribulation show up, you will tuck tail and run because when persecution and tribulation show up, you better know who you are in Christ. And can I tell you that Jesus said that when they persecute you, remember they persecuted me first. He didn't say if they do. He doesn't say that, hey, a couple of you are gonna go through some difficult times. A couple of you will be persecuted for your faith. He just says, listen, if you're gonna be a follower of Christ, you need, if you're gonna be a follower, you need to know that, that there's just gonna be times where people are gonna put you down for your faith. And because people don't have a solid identity, because they've got shame of their own they're not dealing with, the enemy uses that to come and prevent that seed from being able to take root. Verse 22, as for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. This one I think is probably the one that, 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 that most regularly impacts the church. And that is that there is this, there, are, there is a second voice that is constantly vying for our approval, and that is the voice of the world around us. And it is in contradiction to the word of God. And the world around us is telling us that certain 
things are acceptable, that certain things are okay. And, and, and what happens is, is that we walk backwards from this place. And when we begin to listen to the world and begin to take the word of God and begin to pair, like, kind of slice off pieces of the word, and we begin to go, well, you know, I, I, I believe in God and I believe in these kingdom principles I wrote down, but, but I also believe what the world is saying here about how I should view other people and because that's in contradiction to the word of God I'm going to let the world's voice be the one that I listen to or the one that I am okay with and I'm going to sit here and suppress the truth of God in just this one little area the problem is is it's all tethered together so as you're trying to suppress and justify maybe some actions in your own life or the actions in the lives of somebody you care about you're not just suppressing a portion of the truth you're suppressing the entirety of the truth. You're making all of it become less valuable. And what happens is, is that this is the path that leads to the place of shame and the place of guilt. This is the path right here that moves you into the position of being from thorns into rocky territory to just ultimately being cast along the side of a path. And Jesus says that, that, that here is a group of people who when the seed is planted and the truth is made known, that the deceitfulness of riches or that the idea, the cares of the world begin to put a chokehold on that individual. The cares of the world, I believe, is fear. And this is the question, where am I in the world? Where is it that I exist? How do I fit into the world around me? And if you're asking that question, right, you have a fear of being accepted by the world around you. You have a fear of fitting in with the world around you. And you need something inside of you needs to be able to go, yeah, uh, uh, this is, you know, earth is my home and I fit in here. But the truth is God says that earth is not our home. The word of God says that this is a temporary dwelling. And so those kingdom principles that we wrote down at the beginning, right? Those kingdom principles, if we believe those kingdom principles to be true, then they stand in stark contradiction to what the world around us is trying to communicate. And we don't get to have our feet in both sides of it. And, and I get it. This is difficult for us, but it, it isn't an option for the believer. Guilt, shame, and fear, these emotions, these are the tools, the emotions that the enemy uses to prevent us from rising to our potential. I mean, I, I, don't, know, I don't know how many times, you know, I've sat down with somebody and tried to help them believe in themselves the way that God believes in them. I mean, if I could do anything today, if I, if I could end today's, today's time together with any idea, it would be God has a purpose for you. And it's not to just simply exist and kind of meander around, figuring out how to die without pain to figure out how to find worldly success. God has a purpose and a plan for your life. And, and, and can I tell you that if you aren't going to get serious about getting into the mind space of asking him, what would you have me do? You're not going to know. 
And this is why inside of scripture, it talks about praying without ceasing, right? You're like, well, how can I do that? That's where I am just constantly in the state of being where I am talking to God. God, can you do this? God, can I do this? God, what should I do here? God, what should this look like? God, where am I going? God, what would you have me to do? Where, where would you have me to retire, God? What would you have me to do for a career, God? Like, speak to me. Show up. I want to hear from you. And this is what it looks like because we're constantly in this place of reverting back to God. And what happens is, is that by doing that, we're cleansing out our soul. We're coming into a place of having a healthy spirit. And that's where we move into verse 23. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, and in another 30. This is what he says. Woman with the issue of blood, she's sitting here going, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I'm sick and tired of suffering. I'm sick and tired of being inconvenienced. I'm ready for something different. How can this happen? I've, I, I've heard the truths of God. All I've got to do is get to the Messiah. If I can just touch the hem of his garment, it's going to be okay. And so I believe that and I'm going for the hem of his garment. And so she believes in herself that, that this can happen and she goes and when she does it, right? So she takes her mind into action and physically shows up. And Jesus turns around and says, your faith has made you whole. And he comes into a group of Pharisees who, who would speak the truths of the word of God, but they do not themselves believe those truths. They do not understand those truths. And so there is an, an assortment of people where the seed is falling void. And so Jesus is trying to help all these different people understand why it is that you don't have the type of fruit that the woman with the issue of blood now has. And it is simply because you do not have control of your thoughts. You do not have control of what's happening inside of you. And maybe it's because you live a life where you want to justify your own actions, or maybe you're living, again, with guilt and shame, and you need to own that, and you need to step into the identity that God created you to be a part of. Paul gets this really clearly, uh, this idea of getting it in your mind, like getting a hold of it coming to that aha moment, right? I mean, that, that place where you're like, oh, now I get it. Now that makes sense. I see what, what it is that they're talking about. And, and so, so Paul gets that this has to happen in your life. This has to happen in your life. And he says in Romans chapter 12, uh, in verse two, and let's go ahead and stand as we close today. He says, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Can I, can I tell you, like this, this, is a, this is a good verse to get into your heart because Paul says that, that we renew our mind, right? And we renew our mind by changing the way that we think, the things that we believe, right? So maybe if... 
Maybe if you're not in the place of fulfillment that you would like to be, maybe you need to renew your thinking. Maybe you need to change some of the things that you've bought into, right? And how do you, how do you know then that on the, on the other side of that mind change that it's working, he says that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. 